In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. God willing, today will be the last topic in the series about the priesthood. Um, today we're going to focus on the existence of the altar. Um, whether or not in the Christian church, in the New Testament, there should be an altar. Um, we spoke uh, in general about a lot of things related to the priesthood itself. Um, but today we're going to speak about the priesthood as it relates to the altar and the purpose of the altar, the existence of the altar in the New Testament. So the objection um, from people who uh, feel like there shouldn't be an altar, um, you know, many Protestant churches, they, their churches don't have an altar. Um, the church is primarily just like a praise and worship and a sermon. Um, but, uh, but of course, in the Orthodox Church and, and other apostolic churches like the Catholic Church, and there are even some Protestant churches like the Lutheran Church, for instance, uh, and the Anglican Church that have an altar. Um, so the people who object to the existence of the priesthood also object to the presence of the altar, the necessity and the purpose of the altar. They claim there is no altar in the New Testament, and so if there's no altar, that means there's no sacrifice um, that is being offered. So the words of St. Paul confirm the existence of the altar because in Hebrews 3, or sorry, Hebrews 13, it says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Who, who is it that serves the tabernacle? What is the tabernacle? Hmm? The? Yeah, so what is the tabernacle in the Bible? When we talk about the tabernacle, what is the tabernacle? In the Old Testament. Right, so that's where the sacrifices were offered in the Old Testament, and that's where the priests would serve, right? So those who serve the tabernacle are the Jews, right, are the Jews. The Jewish people are the ones who have the tabernacle, and the Jewish priests, the, the, Le the Levitical priesthood, the priests, the sons of Levi, the sons of Aaron, they're the ones who serve the tabernacle. So when St. Paul in the New Testament says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat, what does he mean? So he said that those who serve the tabernacle are the Jewish priests. Okay? And he's saying we, as in the Christians, have an altar from which the Jewish priests have no right to eat. Right? So he's saying there is a Christian priesthood that is separate from the Old Testament priesthood. And there is a Christian altar that is separate from the altar of burnt offering that was in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. So here he is making this distinction between the two things. Okay, those who serve the tabernacle, see look it says right there. Those who serve the tabernacle are those Jews who remain Jews and thus they cannot partake of the Christian altar. Okay? So the question is is there an altar in the New Testament? Well, St. Paul is talking about an altar. And he's mentioning specifically that this altar is unique and distinct from the other altar that we heard about in the Bible, which is the altar of the tabernacle. Right? So 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 it's it's clear. Uh, the prophecy in the book of Isaiah about the existence of an altar to the Lord in the land of Egypt was not fulfilled until the Christian era. This is a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 19, which says, In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. Okay? In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the land of the midst of Egypt. Uh, I think we touched on this point before. What is the significance of this altar in the midst of the land of Egypt? What altar is it referring to? 
The Christian altar. Well, how do we know it's the Christian altar? Hmm? Why? How do we know it's not for the Jews? Where did the Jews offer sacrifice? Jerusalem, in the tabernacle or the temple, right? So if there is going to be an altar, well, the altar is not going to be in the midst of a pagan country, which Egypt was a pagan country at the time. So when it says in that day, this is a prophecy about the future, it says there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt, and specifically that altar is the altar of the Coptic church because we are the church of the land of Egypt. So, so again, this is, a, this is a prophecy, the existence of the altar in the New Testament. Also, the prophet Malachi prophesied about the presence of altars in the nations. The nations mean like the Gentile nations. This was only fulfilled in the New Testament. So Malachi says, From the risings of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and every place incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. So he's saying, when is it that his name, the name of God, is going to be great among the Gentiles? Was the name of God great among the Gentiles in the Old Testament? No, the, the only believers of God were the Jews, right, in the Old Testament. So it was confined to Israel. So when we say that the name of God shall be great among the Gentiles, well, that must be referring to the New Testament because that's when um, the apostles went and preached to the nations and the word of God spread and the church was established all over the world, okay? So the name of God became great. And then once the name of God became great in the Gentile nations, it says, in every place, incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering. So there is an offering that is being made to God. Right? And again, the altar is the place where the offering is made. Right? The sacrament of the Eucharist is found in the four Gospels and in 1 Corinthians. We're going to talk more about some of these references. But the idea that in the New Testament, um, the Eucharist is mentioned. Okay? And we're going we're to talk about that. So one is when we speak about the holy sacrifice, we speak about the Eucharist, the communion that we partake of in the liturgy. Um, this is not an ordinary bread, okay? So how did the Lord describe this bread? He said, it is the true bread from heaven. That's what he said. He's, and then he spoke about himself as being bread. He said, I am the bread of life, and I am the bread that came down from heaven. You know, we speak about how in the Old Testament, God does things that are symbolic of what is to come. So in the Old Testament, what did God send? What is the bread that came from heaven in the Old Testament? The manna, okay? And the manna at the time was for the physical sustenance of the people because that's the only food that they had to eat. And so every day the manna would come from heaven and the people would eat it and so they could live in the wilderness, okay? But the Lord described himself as the true manna, as the true bread that comes from heaven, okay? So, and, 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 and he likened this, like he, he, he was like the fulfillment of this, uh, of this that God gave them into the, in, in the Old Testament. So he said, this is the true bread from heaven, and he is the bread, okay? I am the bread that comes down from heaven. So he says, what we partake of in this offering, in this sacrifice, right, is the true bread from heaven, which is himself, okay, which is himself. It is the body of the Lord. He says, what the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Okay, so, so he's, he's, he's saying now, what is this bread that we're talking about? Well, this bread that we are offering on the altar is the flesh of Christ that he will give for the life of the world. So it is for, for life, to give us life. 
And then he said, For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And when he said this, many people were offended at what he said. This is in John chapter 6. It's a very famous chapter speaking about communion. After he said this, people were offended. And it says many of his disciples, not, not the 12 disciples, but other disciples, other people who are following him, they left him because they were offended. They said, how is it that we can eat this man's flesh? Right? It, it, it sounded to them uh, offensive and, and they couldn't accept it. Right? But what did we hear? What did the Lord say to clarify what he meant? What did he say? Did he say anything to clarify what he meant? He didn't say anything. He didn't go after those people who left and say, no, you misunderstand. Um, this is not really my flesh. No, he, he let them leave. Right? Because, because what he said was the truth. Those people couldn't accept the truth, couldn't accept the concept, the idea that we we're going to eat the flesh of Christ. But that is exactly what we were to do. Now, at the Last Supper, the Lord made it clear that we are eating his flesh in the form of bread. This is why when he broke the bread on Covenant Thursday, he said, take and eat, this is my body. Okay, take and eat, this is my body. So when we partake of him, we partake of him in the form of bread that we can consume as opposed to eating human flesh, right, which we would not be able to consume. But, but it is the flesh of Christ and the wine that we drink is the, the blood of Christ. He also says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. So it tells us something about the importance of this sacrifice, right? If, if for, for him to say that those who have eternal life are the ones who eat my flesh and drink my blood, that tells us that this is not like a, an optional sacrament. This isn't something that we do lightly. This isn't something that we do optionally. It's not something that we do if it's convenient. Um, I was talking the other day about um, with somebody about um, uh, people who, uh, instead of coming to attend the liturgy, they just listen to the liturgy online, right? And 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 a, a lot of people feel like this is sufficient. So it's like I'm kind of attending remotely. Well, you can attend remotely all you like, but you can't partake of the communion remotely, right? Uh, so so the 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 idea of being uh, receiving the sacrament is because we believe that it is for life. It is for eternal life. So we can't just listen to a prayer and then say we have attended the liturgy, right? It's not the same thing. He also says, uh, he, who he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him, right? So if we want the Lord to abide in us, which we want, then we have to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, eternal life, again, so the Lord made it very clear in John chapter 6, which is like maybe the most famous uh, chapter speaking about the communion, that number one, this offering is truly the, the body and the blood of Christ, and it is necessary for salvation, for eternal life, for Christ to dwell in us. And, and when people became offended at this idea, he let them leave. Right? So there was they, 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 they understood him correctly. You know, nowadays... Um, in some churches, uh, like some Protestant churches, they try to spiritualize what Christ meant. It's like, oh, no, he didn't mean literally that we eat his flesh. He meant it in like a spiritual way. Well, if he meant it in a spiritual way only, then why were those people offended? And if he meant it in a spiritual way only, 
then why did Christ allow those offended people to leave without clarifying to them what he really meant? He meant that we're actually eating him. This is what he meant. But again, we're eating him in a form that we're able to consume. Um, what happens to those who do not eat? So it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Which is very scary. Again, it's not saying that this is optional. It's not saying that you can get by without it. Like you can have a person who is a very good person, very moral person, Christian, baptized in the church. Okay? But if they don't eat the blood, or the, don't eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, what is the Lord saying? He's saying you have no life. You know, sometimes we in the church, we, we put too much emphasis on good works. You know, we say that, oh yeah, well, we don't believe in salvation by works. We believe in salvation by faith. But the moment that the question arises, it's like, well, what happens to this group of people over here who are do not believe in Christ and do not have faith in him? But they're really good people. Well, okay, they're really good people, but are, do we believe that salvation is by works? I mean, we already said no. We said we don't believe salvation is by works. Meaning, it's not about how good a work that we do as believers. A person can be a very moral person, very upright, ethical person, serve people, do all kinds of good things. But unless they partake of the spiritual life, right, which is the, the, the body and the blood of Christ, Christ is saying you have no life in you. This is, again, why the sacraments are so important in the church. The sacraments are life-giving. It starts, of course, with the baptism and chrismation, but then it continues with the confession and communion that we partake of on a regular basis. So, so again, this is the importance of the sacrifice. So then we'd say, okay, well, um, and of course the sacrifice is what we do on the altar. We offer the sacrifice. What about more than this? When St. Paul is speaking in 1 Corinthians about the sacrament, he says, those who partake of the, the sacrament in an unworthy manner will receive punishment. There will be a consequence that comes upon them because of them partaking of it in an unworthy manner. He says, therefore, whoever eats this bread, he's speaking about the Eucharist, whoever eats this bread and drink this cup in, uh, of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So at the time, one of the problems in the church of Corinth is that people treated the communion as though it was like any other food. So they might come to the church drunk, or they will have already eaten and or they're coming uh, to treat the, the sacrament as though this is f like normal food that they're going to eat and be full, right? And that's why like the church put restrictions on what we should be doing in order for us to came, come and take communion to help emphasize in our mind that this is not just regular bread that we're eating. Um, he said also, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So anyone who would like to take communion has to first examine themselves and see whether they are ready to take. Um, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And he even goes on to say that some people who, um, to take it in an unworthy manner, die because of it. Now, this is to emphasize again that we need to approach the sacrament with reverence and in preparation and with repentance. But some people take this to an extreme. And they say, well, because we are all sinners and because... Uh, we do not, you know, because we are unworthy and because we have all these weaknesses, then I should not take communion at all. Or I only take communion when I'm very young or I only take communion when I'm very old or at different times, but um, we, 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 we stay away from communion because we're afraid of it. This is not the intent either. Because if 
without communion I have no life, then the solution is not to not take it because then I don't have life. The solution is to take it, but to come with repentance. To say, I'm living an active life of repentance. I'm examining myself. I'm seeing what, what are the things that I need to change in my life. I'm coming and offering repentance to my father, a confession and confession. And I come and take communion. This, this is actually the intent of the sacrament. It is, it is intended for me to take it regularly, all the time. Not to say that I'm going to wait until I'm in a state of perfection and then to say, okay, well, now I will take it. Actually, it is through communion that we achieve perfection. It is through communion that we receive the, 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 the work of God, the grace of God working in me to help me to overcome my weaknesses and my sins. I don't wait until I'm good in order to take it. I take it to help me to be good. But even as I'm doing this, I still can come with the right spirit of repentance and confession. So what are some objections to the idea um, of the Eucharist being truly the body and blood of Christ? Um, so some people say, well, when the Lord said, do this in remembrance of me, that he, he meant it to be just as a memorial, just like something happened in the past, which is him offering the bread and the wine and said, this is my body and this is my blood to the apostles, right, on Covenant Thursday. And so when he says, do this in remembrance of me, he's just he's saying, repeat this again, and remember the first time that this happened. So this group of people is saying, um, like, it's not actually the body and the blood every time. It was maybe the first time, right, when he offered it. But every time after that, we do it as a symbol, right? We do it just as, as a memory, okay? But the question we can ask is, how can, how can something be a remembrance of itself? This is what they're saying. We use this example of the manna, okay? So the manna <coughs> was bread that would come down from heaven okay and when the israelites they built the ark of the covenant which was to be kept in the holy of holies and the tabernacle um, they kept in the ark of the covenant a jar of manna right and the, the purpose of the manna was so that they would remember that they had eaten this for 40 days in the desert okay so it was a remembrance but it was a remembrance of the actual thing that they had eaten so they took some of the manna the actual manna that had come from heaven, they put it in this jar, they kept it in the Ark of the Covenant, and that was the remembrance. So even though it was a remembrance, even though it was something that caused them to remember when they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and they were receiving the manna from heaven, what is it that, they, that caused them to remember? The actual thing itself. So when he's saying, do this in remembrance of me, he's not saying, like, do some symbolic act that then will remind you of the original. He's saying, no, do the act itself, and you will partake of the body and blood in the same way that the first, uh, you know, the, the first time that it was offered was done. So the manna that was in the jar was a remembrance of the manna that they had eaten, even though it was actually truly the manna itself. This phrase meant they were to keep on performing the sacrament, and we remember him when we partake of his body and blood. So every time we offer in the, in the liturgy, uh, we partake of his body and blood, we remember the first time. This is why the priest uses the exact same words that the Lord used on that covenant Thursday when um, he offered himself. Yes. 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 Because that's what he, that's what he offered them. He says, take this, eat, the take, eat of my body. So it was truly his body at the time even though that was before his crucifixion, yeah? Of course, he is the great high priest, right? So he's able to offer it. 
He's able to offer it himself even before. The second objection is that Christ was sacrificed once for all and what we are doing in the liturgy could not be a sacrifice. It, it could not be that, that, that we, are, we are like sacrificing Christ again in the liturgy, right? But Christ only sacrificed himself one time and that, that time has already passed, okay? So how do we respond to this objection? So he did offer himself once and we are not sacrificing him again. We are partaking of that one sacrifice, right? So, so his sacrifice, even though it was one time, it like transcends time. It's, it's for all time. It's a continuous sacrifice. As the Lord said, do this in remembrance of me. So when he says, do this in remembrance of me, he's not saying you're going to re-sacrifice me. It's like every time we offer in the liturgy, we are like re-sacrificing Christ. No, but we are partaking of the original sacrifice. And if he hadn't wanted it to continue, he would not have said, do this until I come. Right? He said, do this until I come. So keep doing this. Keep repeating this until I come. The sacrament continues because the Lord is a priest forever, offering his sacrifice according to the order of Melchizedek. So he's always offering himself continually. Right? The physical sacrifice was one time, but we are partaking of that sacrifice on a regular basis. Also, the Lord handed this sacrament down to his disciples, specifically not to all of the people, but to, to his disciples. He didn't say to all the congregation of believers, do this in remembrance of me, but only to his disciples. The people, though, were to eat the flesh and drink from the cup and proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. Because he told the people, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. So he's telling the people, partake of the cup. Partake of the body and the blood of Christ. But to the, to the disciples, he said, do this in remembrance of me. That this is the offering. Because it is, it is the priest is the one who makes the offering. And that it is through his prayers that the bread and the wine are converted to the body and the blood of Christ. This is why this is something that requires a priest to do. It's, it's something related to the priesthood. Not just anyone can come and say this prayer and then it would be done for him. Okay, But the people then would be the ones to partake, to eat and to drink of this sacrifice. St. Paul was speaking about the sacrament. He said, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So here again, when he's saying we, who is referring to as the we? It is the apostles. He's saying the cup of blessing which we the apostles are blessing. It is the blood of Christ and the bread which we break is it it is the com it is a communion is the body of Christ but then once it is converted to the body and blood of Christ then it is offered and given to all of the people and this is again what we are doing in the liturgy is the priest is offering this sacrifice we are taking the gifts or the oblations that are being brought the bread and the wine and we are offering them as a sacrifice to God it's like we are giving of what is ours to God and then he is taking that and converting it into something that is life-giving to us, which is the body and the blood of Christ. So notice how he speaks on behalf of the apostles when he says, which we bless and the bread which we break, because it was an instruction that was given specifically to the apostles and their successors. And again, when the Lord gave the gift of the priesthood, he gave it to them when he was meeting with the apostles and he, he breathed into their face and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This was the time when this gift of the priesthood was given specifically to them, and this is part of the uh, role, um, the role of the priest. So, so again, this is showing that there is an altar, right? Again, as St. Paul said to the Hebrews, that those who partake of the tabernacle have no right to eat. This is the altar where we offer the sacrifice. The sacrifice is the sacrifice of Christ on the altar. Okay, So this is why in the New Testament there is an altar, and this is why the priesthood is related to the altar, the ministry of the altar. Any questions about this? or Yes. They only take after 40 days? After? Or after giving birth? So they wait 40 days after what? Oh, like wait 40 days between taking communion? So in the Eritrean and Ethiopian churches, there is this mindset that we shouldn't be taking communion very often. And as I said, there are people who don't take communion for years and years and decades. They will say, okay, when, when they are very young, maybe and still innocent, they will take communion. And then when they're very old uh, and they think that they're, they can't commit sins anymore, uh, then they will take communion, right? But this is not, this is not right. Because as I said, the number one, the Lord said that we should partake of it f for us to have life. So it's not right for us to um, keep ourselves from this sacrament when it is life-giving. The second thing is, it is through the grace of the Holy Spirit that we actually receive the strength to overcome sin. So if we are serious about wanting to, to struggle against sin, we can't struggle on our own. We need the power of God to struggle against sin. So again, we receive that through the communion. So this mindset of I shouldn't be taking communion for like a big, big part my life and in the Coptic Church we, we don't agree with this and we're trying to change this mindset and anyone who who believes this I remember actually when I was um, when I was in the monastery during my 40 days uh, after I was ordained a priest so during those 40 days I'm practicing praying liturgies every day and I pray by myself so there's no other priest with me so I get to do everything so I can learn so all of the liturgies that I would be praying, most of the time, there would be just a few of the monks there and sometimes like a few visitors um, in the monastery. So it would be like maybe 10 people taking communion every time. And that's what I was used to. And then one day there came an uh, Ethiopian er, uh, Orthodox group, two charter buses of Ethiopian, Ethiopian Orthodox group. So maybe like 100 people. And I'm by myself and I'd never given communion to that many people before. So I was nervous, and I was like, well, this is going to take a long time. Of course, now I know better. Um, but, so, so, but I was very surprised because when it came time for communion, maybe only 10 people came into the communion out of all of the 100 people because their mindset was the majority of people uh, in their community do not take communion. Okay? So we, we have the opposite view. We say, no, take a communion as often as you can, but take communion with the right spirit. Like don't like like not like what St. Paul said, coming in an unworthy manner. No, come prepared, and prepared means 
you are repenting of your sins, you're confessing regularly, you are, you are making an effort in your spiritual life, then come and take communion. Don't look at yourself and say, well, because I'm a sinner and because I commit sins, that means that I can't take communion. No, actually, like we will always be sinners, even to the last day. And even older people, they're still going to commit sins. So there is no time where we're going to be like saints and then we start to take communion. No, actually, communion is what helps us to become saints. No? Thank you. Any other comments or questions? You can pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask for your blessing and we ask we thank you for the blessing of the priesthood that you have given to all of us for our salvation. We ask, O God, that you grant us to have a heart that is full of love for you and for one another and to seek, O Lord, to serve you and to partake of the sacraments that you have given us that are life-giving for our salvation to protect us and to shield us from the attacks of the enemy. Through the grace, compassion, love of mankind of your only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.